Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Today we're welcoming composer, conductor and multi-instrumentalist Jeremy Turner onto the podcast to talk about his score for the six-part Netflix documentary series Immigration Nation. So welcome Jeremy, how are you today? Thank you Alice, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing okay, thanks. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, and whereabouts are you? I know we had a little bit of a, a chat off air, but just for our listeners that um, obviously yeah, you weren't privy cur- to that. Sure. Uh, I'm currently in um, Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, been up here for the last uh, eight months or so, and uh, we're heading back home to California in a few weeks. Mm, okay. Two lovely locations, both of them. Very lucky. So have you been working from home then um, for the last yeah, eight months or I- so? Yeah, I, I had, fortunately, I had a, a backlog of projects sort of as the pandemic began, so I, I haven't really slowed down much. Um, I ended up scoring one movie from up here. Um, so while I don't have my, you know, full studio with, you know, all my instruments and bells and whistles, I have a pretty um, comparable setup that, that I travel with. You know, you pack up a couple of cases and you know, buy a desk and chair when you get there. And it's been, you know, pretty seamless. So mm, that's been good um, that you've been able to carry on working. Obviously, it's been very difficult for everyone working well, in all sectors, really. Um, but in particular, lots of TV shows and films have all ground to a halt. So how are you finding it now? Are you finding a lot of projects are coming in and just getting started again and needing music? How's that been for you? Yeah, there was, you know, I could sort of forecast a, a a little bit of a downturn in the, in the first couple of months of this year, only in that there were so many productions and things paused in, in, in the end of uh, 2020. So I knew there was, you know, when you're working in anything in post-production, you're always going to have this lag. Um, so you just kind of follow what goes before you. But um, so, yeah, there was, there was a little bit of uh, quiet uh, early in the year, but things seem to be, know picking back up in in full swing and um you know i I imagine there's schedule wise there's a bit of a traffic jam across the board whether it's actors or you know directors or locations or whatever it happens to be so you just kind of uh (laughs) i think it's probably going to be a bit of a feeding frenzy until things settle down but um but yeah luckily for me it's it's been uh okay so Okay, that's that's good to hear. And going back a little bit, I know you were a musical child, obviously, um, playing instruments. And did you always imagine when you were a kid that you'd go on to have a career in music in some way? Or did you hope for that? I think it, it you know, I think by the time I was old enough that I started thinking about a career and as opposed to just being a kid and doing my thing. <laughs> um, yeah, probably when I was 14, or so, um, which I guess would be grade nine. Um, but yeah, it, it became pretty apparent to me that I was going to be doing something in music only in that I really had no interest in at the time going to uh, further studies, in, you know, anywhere other than a conservatory. I, I didn't apply to any universities or colleges. I, I only only applied to uh, music schools. So it, it seemed pretty pretty apparent to me that that was what I was going to be doing with my life. Okay, so glad it all worked out well. Um, I'm sure your family are as well. At the time. Yes, yeah, so it's really a little good. little nerve-wracking for the parents uh, when, when you, you know, have a kid that wants to go into music because, you know, I think uh, there are a lot of horror stories that, that probably far outnumber the success stories. So. I know, but someone's going to make it, haven't they? 
Somebody's got to make it. Might as well be me. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Are your family not musical then? Uh, my mother was uh, a huge lover of the arts and um, a pretty good singer, but uh, nothing professional. Um, my dad couldn't carry a tune if you paid him a thousand bucks, you know, he just, uh, not a musical guy, but, um, but I think as far as I know, uh, yeah, I've sort of the first, um, first family member to kind of make it in music. I, I, I think we, there was a distant relative that was a church organist or something like that, but yeah, nobody, nobody that I know of has, has gone into a career, uh, of music. Okay, well, you're, you're leading the way, and I saw you joined the Metropolitan, oh, Metropolitan, easy for me to say, Opera Orchestra, and um, after completing your first season, you were invited to join the Met Chamber Ensemble in its inaugural year. So what did that experience teach you, and how did it prepare you for your future schoolwork, do you think? That, that was all pretty overwhelming, you know. When I joined the orchestra, I was really young. I, I still had a year left to go in school. And when I joined, um, you know, I think there were only five of us under the age of 30 in the orchestra. Most, most of the members of the orchestra were, were considerably older. Um, so it was all, I think the first season just was kind of a blur for me. It was, it was, um, just really overwhelming. You know, my very first rehearsal in, in the opera pit, I heard this, you know, incredible voice come from the stage and I looked up and it was Pavarotti. And, oh, you wow. know, so, so just being, you know, being able to play all those masterpieces every single night and listen to the world's greatest singers on a, on a daily basis um, certainly informed, um, you know, the basic things like orchestration and, and how an orchestra functions, but, but also just, musically in, in your soul it's just really affected me in terms of how to carry a phrase and and things like that i mean i i think any instrumentalist will tell you or most will that ideally what you want to do is make it sound like a singer because that's the most natural natural thing and um so yeah it, it definitely affected how how i was as a performer and then i i think i didn't realize it at the time but i was certainly gathering information that that would be put to good use later as I transitioned from, from performing to composing. I see. So then what was your route into composing for TV and film? You know, it's funny. Um, I, after a couple of years in the orchestra, I started playing in a band um, and writing songs and singing and playing guitar. And um, in fact, the drummer in the band was, was one of the percussion members from the orchestra. And um so, you know, I had already been writing a little bit and then uh, a friend of mine gave me a shot at writing music for just a short 30 seconds commercial. And um, so I gave it a go and it went well. And I thought, well, that was fun. And and so it kind of started with, with commercials and then eventually led to short films and then to longer films. And, and so it was that little seed of uh, of an opportunity that someone gave me that, that kind of opened things up. But I think I had always been, you know, a huge fan of film and film scores. And um, I think as I started playing on them, you know, I, I would play on, you know, Howard Shore or Danny Elfman or the, you know, there was a lot of recordings back in New York when I, when I was coming up. And, and so to, to see it from, from within the, the orchestra and, and in the room, um, it certainly piqued my curiosity as to what 
you know, what was happening on the other side of the glass and, and how you got there. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, I just, I was very lucky. I had a lot of exposure to, um, to a lot of incredible opportunities that, that I'm not sure I would have had if I had landed a, a, an orchestra job somewhere other than New York. So, mm, yeah, it does sound like there were a lot of opportunities there for you. For sure. And um, when you look back, would you say there was a moment where you can see that was quite a big break for you? Or was there a big project that came along that really sort of got your name on the map? Um, I'd say for me, that would be five came back, um, about, I guess that was four years ago, five years ago. Um, you know, the, the, the first film I ever scored went to Sundance and, and that was really exciting to go experience all that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, getting to write the score for five came back on, on Netflix was, was really kind of the, a breakthrough moment for me. And in that it was, you know, this huge canvas, um, because I think it was 150 minutes of orchestral score. Like it, it was a great opportunity to kind of show what I could do and, and get to work with incredible musicians and, and, you know, recording the score at uh, Warner brothers in, in Los Angeles. And, um, and then obviously some big names attached to the, to the project. So I, I think that that for me was, was probably kind of my, I guess what would be my, my breakthrough <laughs> breakthrough opportunity breakthrough project okay yeah i can see that um and of course now you're in contention um this emmy season for documentary score and main title theme for immigration nation which for Mm -hmm. any listeners that haven't seen the trailer or haven't seen it yet um this highlights the struggles in america's broken immigration system under the former trump administration and the docuseries follows u.s ice officers on raids at detention centers and attempting to integrate with local law enforcement and um, just by watching the trailer, you can see it's quite a powerful series. It's going to be dealing with some weighty topics, some difficult scenes, um, just difficult to take, really. So I'm just curious, when you heard about the premise, was it immediate yes for you when you heard about um, potentially doing the score for this one? It was. Um, I, I knew I had known about it for a long time coming. You know, um, the the directors, Cheryl Schwartz and, and Christina Klujow, um I, I had, well, as, as mentioned, the, the first film I ever scored uh, was directed by Shaul called Narco Cultura. And he's, uh, you know, been a long friend and, and collaborator ever since. And so, yeah, he had told me about this um, as they were working on it. And so I knew it was coming up and, and something that I was definitely interested in and, and passionate about and, and wanted to be a part of um, that you know, at the same time, it, it's a very, very complex subject matter and, and has, you know, a lot of tragedy and, and heartache in it. And so it was, um, I knew it was going to be, <laughs> it's not exactly like scoring a romantic comedy. No. It, it, it was, uh, it was very heavy at times for sure. Mm. So how does that work practically? Are you given each episode and then do you work out where music fits or are you given some kind of script and then guidance? Is it left to yeah, you? Yeah, the, the interesting thing about working on documentary as opposed to, you know, features or, or narrative projects um, is that the edit can, it's just constantly changing. Not that it wouldn't in a, in a, um, in a fictional tale, but it really can change. I mean, because they just have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage. Um, so it depends on how, how the story gets woven together. And I think one of the things that made this particularly challenging was that 
Um, I think I wrote a couple sketches in January of 2020. And, but, but when I really kind of started, the pandemic was, was kind of bubbling up and, and taking over. So whereas you would normally have a spotting session or, or, you know, everybody, and not just in the entertainment industry, everybody was trying to figure out, how, okay, how do we work in this new way and remotely and isolated and all those things. So, um, so yeah, we, we kind of, I think I sent over a bunch of old scores, previous projects that they could use for temp music. Um, and yeah, we just had a lot of conversations about, um, you know, what is the sound of, of fear and, and that kind of thing. And, and, um, but yeah, I was kind of left to my own devices because I was, I was, everybody was in isolation at that point. And so I, I not only composed, but performed basically the, the whole score by myself. So it was oh, really? a lot of, yeah, a lot of layering and, and uh, overdubbing and all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. So you've done this over lockdown. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The whole project was completed over lockdown. Yeah. Oh, incredible. I know you're not um, alone in doing that. I did interview the um, composer who did this score for Bridgerton recently, and he said the same thing. It sounds like a big orchestral score, but it's really just lots of layering, just like you said, of just a handful yeah. of musicians. I mean, he wasn't a one-man band like you, basically, doing it all himself, though. Yeah, <laughs> it just, everybody had to find new ways of working together. And, you know, even... I've done a couple orchestral dates in the last year and, and just even that is, is challenging. There's only so many people allowed in the studio at a time and, you know, traditional mic placement and, in, 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 you know, on the soundstage and the recording and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's all changed. And, you know, it's, it's the whole idea of socially distanced or whatever <laughs> and being in an orchestra or being in mm. a band, like, doesn't really work very well you know like that that whole sense of ensemble and togetherness a, a, a lot of that is just being in the same room with people and yeah we couldn't do that so yeah a lot of new new techniques and um, new approaches you know had to be created to to complete the project I see and I'm curious then what technology helps you get the job done or helped you on this particular occasion given that you were stuck at home a lot more than usual what was helping you along the way well I'm I'm very lucky in that I, I'm surrounded by a, a really great team. You know, I've got my music editor and score mixer, um, Abe Manasmar and Owen O'Neill. Um, Owen's in New York and Abe is in LA. But um, those guys, re- you know, really help help me a lot in in just lighting the path and and uh, you know keeping me going. And um, you know, technology wise, that's. You know, I'm, I always say I'm, I'm a composer first and a mixer, a very, very, very distant second. <laughs> so, um, you know, I have a pretty good idea of how I want things to sound. But when it comes to, you know, running a board or, or you know, doing deep dives into uh, technical aspects of, of the project, that's where I, I, I know well to step aside and let the experts take over. <laughs> so, gotcha. um, yeah. Okay, no, no, that makes sense. But leave it with the professionals and you can do your part and they can do theirs. And exactly. It turns out fine. Um, okay. um, I saw as well, so you scored the project almost like a horror film. 
um, which makes sense now that I've seen the trailer matching the devastation and the unfortunate reality that many are oblivious to. You can clearly see, I mean, people know from seeing the news, you're going to see hardworking families torn apart and some very hard to watch scenes. Um, so how did you arrive at this decision to use this kind of approach, almost like a horror film? Well, it, that was one approach. I mean, there, there are other, I shouldn't say that the, I think there's like five and a half hours of music or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's not all, it's not all horror music. No, no, of course. Doom doom and gloom. Just elements. elements. Yeah. But I think that was one of the very early conversations we had was just what does fear sound like? And, and so many of these uh, unfortunate situations, these families and individuals that are, um, I mean, it's real fear. It's not, uh, it's not, hey, the boogeyman's uh, coming out from the closet. It's this is you're being torn apart from from your family. So it's it's genuine fear, and it's really hard to watch a lot of these scenes. And you know, there's so much tragedy on screen. I didn't I didn't want to necessarily add to it, um, but you know, do, we do our best as composers to supplement the story and, and help pull it along. And um, so. Yeah, fear ended up being a, a really big part of it. But, um, you know, I, I often try to leave the cello behind just because it's the instrument that I'm most comfortable on. Mm-hmm. Um, but Shao also loves that instrument and Christina did too. And, and they know, you know, what I'm capable of with, with the cello. So we ended up using that in, in a lot of the score. And it, it served us well because you know, getting back to my earlier point, cello is probably for me the most, uh, has the most in common with the human voice as as a musical instrument. And so it it can really be um, melancholy and, um, you know, full of soul and and really connect on on a human level for those scenes when, when we needed it. And then there were other really, really uncomfortable, unsettling moments where, we would kind of use the cello and push it to its extremes, whether it was, you know, scratching or, you know, playing, uh, playing the strings in, in areas of the instrument that you wouldn't normally touch and um, just kind of using extended techniques to create some really eerie, um, eerie tones that, that kind of added to it. But um, yeah, it was, it, it was not an easy project to work on, especially. And then at the same time, it's like, I had nothing to complain about, you know, I'm just like, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm in my studio. Yes. It's isolating because of the pandemic, but you know, I'm sitting here looking at, at families being literally torn apart. And so it kind of helps put things into perspective. Yeah. Realizing how lucky you are. And um, for sure, given that, I mean, given what you've just said as well, these are obviously not actors. These are, this is real people. Um, yeah. So how do you, find the balance of creating a school that doesn't over dramatize something on screen given that this is not fiction um and you know that finds the right balance in the tone without you know becoming too dramatic and being sensitive you know, about it yeah it's we always say the thing that comes to mind you say you know you don't want to put a hat on a hat yes <laughs> um it's it's already there's so much there um and you don't want to you don't want the music or the score to be manipulative in any way, mm. um, but but yeah, there are times where you you might want to you know really really feel something a little a little more or 
make it more apparent what's what's going on on screen. And then oftentimes you, it was the absence of sound or the absence of music that that would really hammer home this this sense of isolation um, that some of these characters might feel. But but yeah, ultimately it was. Yeah, I think that was probably the the hardest thing is that everything I was watching on screen happened. You know, it was real, and um, and it's it's hard to separate that. Sometimes, you know, I, I would um, my studio at our place in California is kind of in the back of the property, away from from the main house, and I, you know, I'd go quote unquote home for dinner, which is about a hundred yards away, yeah. and um, yeah, I'd come in for dinner with my wife and and my daughter and. Yeah, it was, it was hard to shift gears because I, I had just been um, knee deep in, in tragedy all day long in the mm, studio. Really so, intense yeah. project, yeah. For sure, for sure. And then, with that in mind, then, were there any scenes that were particularly hard to put the score to given the subject matter? Yeah, there were quite a few. Um, you know, there, there was an ex-Marine who, I didn't even know this, but that that marines could be deported um you know because he smoked the joint 20 years ago or something like that um and seeing seeing him go and plead you know in full dress you know with his military uniform on going to the governor's office with tears in his eyes pleading for a pardon um for something that's now you know legal Mm. um and you know things like that. It, it, there were there were. I think the children obviously that really really gets to you. You know, there's no. There's just no getting over the sound of 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 a child, you know, crying and mm. and um, so yeah. I mean, there were there was there were several several scenes, but also some wonderful scenes of of hope and bravery and and you know people that are really trying to do their best to to improve a, a very complex and broken system across the board mm. and um i know one of the cues um that is uh, would be a good one to talk about is one named find them and remove them and this encapsulates oh, yeah. a lot of the main things doesn't it so including you know the fear that the undocumented people suffer on the run and the action that i suppose you imagine some of the ice agents feel as they go um doing air quotes here hunting horrible phrase yeah. but you know what i mean um, um so tell me a bit about this piece yeah that was that ended up being a big i think that was from episode one that that ended up being a big tentpole cue um that we probably had the most revisions and and worked on the hardest but then ended up helping us out a lot throughout the rest of the series but um yeah on the flip side of you know when you're trying to get in the head of of uh what some of these characters are experiencing you know on, on the flip side of all this fear and tragedy are these ice agents you know some of whom are really honestly trying to do the best they can, but a lot of them are just horrible people, <laughs> just not. Yeah. Um, and and they yeah they really do they they treat it like they're going to war or they're or they're going hunting and you know tracking down their prey and and so hard as it was for me to get into that mindset, I, I genuinely felt like some of these guys were they were in an action movie in their own mind, you know? Um, and so, so the music I wrote kind of 
yes, it had elements of the fear and the, and the chase and all that stuff, but it also, it was, you know, this sort of fake heroism that they were somehow, you know, going off and, and arresting tough guys when in reality they're, you know, escorting a grandma into a car, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, um, but yeah, that, that, that cue in particular has, has quite a bit, um, in it. That's kind of the, the kitchen sink cue, I would say for, for the series. Mm. And, um, given by, um, the YouTube comments under the trailer, I think that sort of themes really resonated with people. Um, I've noticed a lot of the comments said, uh, picked apart some of the, I'm guessing that we're not calling them characters because they're real people, but some of the ice agents that, um, just don't seem to feel anything. Um, yeah. so, uh, yeah, it's clearly resonated with a lot of people in this documentary. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so another cue, this one's from episode five. This one really speaks to you. And this one is called Two Grandmothers. So um, uh, yeah. tell me about what, what's happening in, in this scene when this one's used and why this one stands out to you. Yeah, that was episode five in general, really. That was the, the hardest one to work on, but also I think the most poetic and transparent. I mean, regardless of how you you feel about this, subject matter it, it's pretty you'd be hard pretty hard pressed to watch episode five and not you know the, I, I think one of the great things Shell, Shell and Christina did is that they really just it's a true documentary it's just you just experience it and you can take what you want from it it's not kind of slanted one way or another um but uh two grandmothers was yeah there was this woman named Berta who um was from Mexico and had a granddaughter that she was taking care of and some gang members wanted to take her granddaughter basically. And she stood up to them and things got violent and, you know, they threatened to set her house on fire and all that stuff. So she and her uh, granddaughter came to the States legally, you know, they came and applied for asylum. Mm -hmm. And this poor woman, Berta ended up in, uh, in a holding facility for, I think almost two years and then eventually got deported and sent back and she did nothing wrong. Just all she was trying to do was make a better life for, Mm. um, for her granddaughter. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, she had a friend, I believe this was in Texas, um, who was a a legal citizen in in, in the States, but was also uh, from Mexico originally. And she would come and visit her. And um, so there, yeah, there was just this scene where the two of them were um, praying and having a conversation and, and hugging each other. And she'd come visit her, I think, once a week or something like that. And it was this very quiet, intimate moment um, and just incredibly tragic because you, you realize a lot of this stuff is just luck. It's not, it's not all, you know, when you say illegal immigrant, it doesn't mean they broke the law, you mm. know, it's some, sometimes they're just trying to apply for, for asylum and, and trying to escape a really, really bad situation. Um, mm. So yeah, that was, that was a very touching, touching scene. And I think that cue, if I remember correctly, it's just kind of solo cello. Um, yeah. Just drenched in reverb. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely sounds like a powerful scene and um, you know, situation to even put a score to. So um yeah i urge uh, all our listeners to to watch the program i'm going to watch it after it's on netflix isn't it it is yeah yeah okay it's, uh, i think all, all six all six episodes are on netflix and um it's not told in any way um 
you know, there, there's some connective tissue, but you, you don't need to necessarily start with one and go in order. I mean, although that's what I would do, but if it's uh, too much, too much to take on, then, you know, you can certainly watch an episode at a time. Mm, do it in bits. Um, okay. And um, aside from Immigration Nation, you are also in Emmy contention for this uh, this season for your epic main title theme for the Disney Plus docuseries Marvel's 616. Um, That's right. Which yeah. is appropriately orchestral, heroic, cinematic, yes. all of these things. Yeah. So completely different project, of course, completely different sound and approach. So tell me a bit about this docuseries series what it's about and how you approach the score for this one yeah that was um that that was the i think that was the final project i completed before the pandemic um and you know in some ways i wish it had been in reverse because it was just so much fun to (laughs) to work on (laughs) um it would have been a nice uh change of pace from from immigration nation but um yeah marvel 616 was a blast um the uh, showrunners asked me if I wanted to write the, the you know, told me about the, the new series and asked me if I wanted to write the main title for it. And I thought, geez, you know, I don't have to think hard about that. Mm. Uh, writing a, writing a main title um, piece of music for Marvel is obviously very exciting. And, um, and yeah, and that was right in my wheelhouse, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier. I mean, the, the orchestra is kind of where I'm most comfortable and, um, and yeah, so I got to, you know, pull out all the stops and write a big uh, heroic main title theme. Okay. And um, was this done, um, I'm guessing this one wasn't as much done you on your own. Was it a proper orchestra being used? What was the setup for that one? Yeah, we were, yeah, we were able to do, uh, you know, do it properly. And um, I, I, because it was in the before times, as <laughs> yeah. they've now been known, Um and yeah, the first time I heard the the final mix was actually up at uh, up at Skywalker um, when we nice. went to go mix one of the episodes I uh, I scored, and um, yeah, it was yeah really exciting. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Mm, I'll bet. And um, I know you're currently, or I think currently, scoring an upcoming Pixar project for Disney Plus. So, what can you tell me about that? I can understand if it's nothing. This is not um, an organization you want to uh, get in trouble with. I can imagine. So, don't give away yeah. any spoilers, Jeremy. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm I'm not at liberty to to talk about it. But uh, it, I can just tell you, it's going to be really good. <laughs> okay i'm intrigued i'm intrigued okay are there any projects you are allowed to talk about that you've got coming up um not really that's that's kind of <laughs> that's fair enough <laughs> yeah unfortunately i'm in that in that in-between phase where you know things haven't been uh divulged just yet so that's absolutely fine um i think being gagged by mickey mouse is absolutely understandable <laughs> you don't want you don't want to mess with the powers there so um yes. that's wonderful that you've got all these great projects and um intriguing that's a projects. very funny visual by the way being <laughs> gagged by mickey mouse <laughs> it is and now i've just um, remembered a south park episode which i'd completely forgotten about i don't know if you've ever seen it um they don't really paint I, mickey mouse in a very good light in that one i think i i think i remember that episode <laughs> yes i think it involved the joke brothers anyway we don't need yeah. to go there but um yeah, yeah. <laughs> in their disney days we're all good okay Very i think funny. that's a perfect note to to leave it there i'm sorry disney yes. i love you disney i didn't mean anything by that um <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us it's been such a pleasure to hear about your work and immigration nation really looking forward to watching that so thank you thank you very much Alice. thanks for having me on oh you're very welcome anytime
Okay. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.